give you one guess where we'll be this morning. We'll be in 2 Timothy, sandwiched between 1 Timothy and Titus. So I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn there. And as you're turning there, I just want to share a, a quick story um, from yesterday as we begin today's mas- uh, message. We are in too much of a hurry in the world we live in today. Too much. And as I've had a conversation with someone yesterday, you know, we were talking about what the coronavirus has done, and it has really forced us to kind of slow down and realize that the pace at which we were running is not sustainable. And so as we begin today's message, I just want to share with you this kind of illustration um, that I experienced yesterday. So we live off um, Alice Drive behind CVS. And one of the streets, well, the street we live on is Pringle, and one of the ways that you can get there is off of Wise. And so I was, I went up Wise, and I was getting ready to turn left onto Pringle, which is the next street right behind CVS. And as I got over, I said, you know what, I'm going to kind of get really close to the center line. Because I had seen this happen before, but I, I'm like, I'm going to get really close to the center line to get ready to turn. And there were a few cars coming, and I had to wait. And I want you to know that I, because me getting over close to the center line left a gap, more of a gap, on the right-hand side. People almost didn't slow down to make sure to whiz past me, right? They almost didn't hit the brakes. It was just like one, two, three, four. I mean, just didn't just blew right past me. And thank goodness there was enough of a, a of <clears throat> asphalt there for them to do that. And so as I think about this morning's message, and I think about preaching and teaching ex, um, expositorily through the Word of God, I'm kind of like that motorist that maybe didn't get all the way over to the left. Right to where I'm kind of getting where I'm supposed to be, where we're supposed to be, and we're slowing down to take a look, verse by verse, piece by piece, of God's Word. And I think this morning's message is one of those verses that just is so chock full of truth. Just so uh, an amazing verse. And so I want you to turn your attention as we continue to study uh, in Second Timothy, and as you well know... That um, Paul is writing to his protege. He's writing from prison. Most people think that um, that this letter was actually dictated. Obviously, it was not necessarily. It's from the mind of Paul. Some people believe that it was dictated by uh, someone who was there with him. But regardless, it is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul as his penman. And still, some two thousand years later, there is truth that we can apply to our lives. And so last week we really touched on verses 9 through 11 and the notion centered around through the gospel. And I just want to remind you this morning that it is through the gospel that you are saved. It is through the gospel that you are called. It is through the gospel that you have a purpose. It is through the gospel that you no longer have to fear Death. It is through the gospel that you can have a relationship with God. It is through the gospel that you can share God's plan of salvation with others. It is through the gospel that you have been made whole. And it is through the gospel that you have been made new. That is praiseworthy. Amen? And so this morning I want us to look at, it really is kind of the, uh, we read into verse 12 last week, but I really want us to look this morning at verse 12. So look with me in your copy of God's Word. You'll see these similar words, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 
But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate on it, Lord, that it brings truth and it brings life to us. So, Lord, we thank you that it is your love letter written to us. Lord, help us this morning to see you more clearly, to see something about your word, something about you and what you have done for us that we've maybe never seen before. And help us to praise you for that. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, first off, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. You know... If I can remind you anything, in the world we live in, there should be no reason for you to be ashamed of the gospel. There should be no reason for you to be ashamed for coming to church and for what Christ has done for you. If you will, turn with me to the book of Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the uh, the church at Rome. And I want you to see in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, what Paul says about being ashamed. He says, he told the church at Rome, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Friends, we're not to be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because we're not to be ashamed of what Jesus has done. Because it is the gospel and it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we're not to be ashamed. Now, this is interesting because I made a note and I can't remember what the note is about. So give me one second. Um, we go here. See, that happens occasionally. I'm not perfect. So I think it's Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I wrote in my notes to look at um, different translation. Okay, so I'll read this, uh, I think it was to read the Amplified Version for 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, verse 12. And so Paul says, This is why I suffer as I do. Still, I am not ashamed, for I know him and am personally acquainted with him, whom I have believed with absolute trust and confidence in him and in the truth of his deity. And I am persuaded beyond any doubt that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day when I stand before him. So as you're studying and you're reading scripture, I encourage you, if you have the Bible app, to look at the Amplified Version. Because what the Amplified Version is going to do is it's going to look at the original uh, Greek, the original Hebrew, and it's going to pull out... Uh, those deeper meanings. For example, just like I've told you time and time again, take the word love. There are multiple words for love in the Bible. Agape, phileo, um, eros. 
you know, there are all these different words for love. And so we take it as face value, but there's a deeper meaning. And so sometimes it can help you as you're studying to look at the Amplified Version because it's going to give you a deeper meaning. And so I, we're not to be ashamed. Secondly, I want you to see that Paul says, I know him. I'm not ashamed for I know. That speaks of a personal relationship. That means that he was acquainted with his Lord. Can that same thing be said about you? Do you know Jesus? Do you know your heavenly father? Are you spending time with him daily? You know, one of the things you'll probably hear me say later in this message is that our faith is not just something that you pull out in case of emergency, but it's a daily choice of following Jesus. It is a daily choice of surrender, of surrendering your will to his, of surrendering and saying, Lord, I don't have this all together. I need you. As we read this morning from Psalm 68, he does what? He keeps us. He upholds us. He is our salvation. Through him, our power and strength. So if you need power to make it through your day, seek Jesus. If you need strength to make it through your day, seek Jesus. If you need strength to make it through a difficult conversation, pray and ask God for wisdom. Maybe pray a lot of times what I have to pray. Lord, may I be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Now, I probably put those in the wrong order because I think it says you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. But nonetheless, be intentional about that. Sometimes when I go into difficult conversations, I have to pray that to the Lord. And can I tell you time and time again, especially with someone even within my own family, there was a time where we were just, there was some turmoil, there was some friction. And so I just began to pray that every time that I was going to interact with that person. And so it helped me, it helped us to grow closer to one another because I was intentional about praying to the Lord. I was intentional about praying that truth back to the Lord and asking him to use that in my life. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And so really this was not originally in my notes, but who does he says he knows in whom, not what he believes, but in whom he believes. It is a person and it is the person in the work of Jesus Christ. If you get tired of hearing about Jesus, then maybe you shouldn't come to church. Amen. Because if you aren't hearing about him enough, then we aren't preaching and teaching the right thing. Because I don't know about you, but kind of the life verse of Bible Fellowship Church, which is on the stained glass window on the right as you walk in, says what? That in Christ, that Christ might, in preeminence, Christ might be all things. That he might have the preeminence. That it's all about Jesus. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we desire. As we're talking through on Wednesday night of kind of studying letters to the church by Francis Chan, We've gotten it all wrong. It's about our preference and what we feel. And and friends, we can't rely on our feelings. We have to trust the Lord and that he will work through our situation. So Paul is saying, I know whom I have believed. It's not a what, but it is a who. It's whom. It's Christ and Christ alone. As he says, I have believed, there, as he makes that statement, there is absolute trust and confidence in Christ and in his deity. 
And so I want to ask you this morning, this is a series of questions as we're going through this. What do you believe? What do you believe? Not in what, but in whom? What has God done in your life? What have you asked Him to do in your life? You know, friends, I would really encourage you, there is nothing wrong with struggling with your faith. Because honestly, if there's not, then I don't know how much faith there really is. Because you're going to face things in your life. And as I wrote and I talked to Kendall about this, your faith is forged through adversity. Back to that notion of our faith is not just something that we bring out in a time of emergency, but it's a daily choice. It's something that we're to be actively a part of in seeking the Lord. And so I just want to remind you that, you know, there are times even when I prepare to preach and teach and as I sat there this morning and I pray like I do most every Sunday, you know what, God, I'm not worthy to stand and preach your word. I'm not going to get it right. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would make things right, that you would give me clarity, that you would get out of me what you've put into me. But friends, don't put me on a pedestal. Never put any man of God or woman of God who is teaching you in your life, never put them on a pedestal. Why? Because they are human and they have flaws and they will fail and they will let you down. Don't put them on a pedestal. Don't put me on a pedestal. Never put a man of God on a pedestal because he is human. He is flawed. No one is perfect except for Christ. Amen? And people will let you down. They will hurt you, even though sometimes they don't mean to. And sometimes they don't even realize that they hurt you, but they do. But that's where we're to forgive. That's where there's to be grace. And Paul says that I am persuaded. I'm persuaded. The King James says um, or in the ESV it says, I'm convinced. I actually wrote it in my note as persuaded. And I guess the reason I did that, and I'll go ahead and talk about this now, is the whole time I was studying this particular verse, I just thought, this is a song. This, guy, this has got to be a hymn, right? And so even up till this morning, I don't know what made me do this, but this morning, right as I got up and I was kind of reviewing my notes, I was like, Google, hymn, for I know whom I believe, or believed. And so sure enough, bam, there's a hymn for whom I've believed. And so that's why it's important, whether it's a hymn or whether it's one of the more contemporary songs that we sing, when they're filled with scripture, and as uh, Miss Cindy and I both appreciate, like the Gettys, you know, there are psalms that they'll take and they just put lyrics to those psalms. Why? Be- one, that's what a psalm is. It's, it was a song for the for the original church we don't know the tune but but people are making and using those songs and why is it important because as we sing those things even as this verse I might not have sung that in years but what it was for I know who I believe right I, I knew that that was a song and so that's one way that we learn that's one way that we teach other people that's one way that is God says you know may in this maybe this should be your prayer lord wake me up tomorrow with a new song in my heart right Because you will, and those truths that you sing will come back to mind. They will give you hope. They will refresh your soul. They will encourage you. And so that's why I encourage you, don't just worry about the tune, but what do the words say? Kendall and I, our relationship has always kind of revolved around music. And music is so powerful. Even secular music. 
Some of our 80s playlists, we love certain songs because of what they say, because of the meaning behind them. There's one country song I love, and if I say this, don't shout amen, Kendall, so people on the phone can hear you. But, um, you know, it's, it goes, you make loving me look easy. You know, it is. She does. And that's what a, a great a great helpmate should do, right? Should make loving you look easy, because it's not. I know. She tells me all the time. But I'm, I'm not ashamed. I know him whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. Friends, all we are and all we have is in his hands. We can uh, stake our whole lives on the trustworthiness of God in Christ. You know, Judgment Day will prove our faith to be vindicated. But see, as we think about, as we read this particular passage this morning, even in prison, Paul knew God was in control. And that notion of him saying that that he is able, so that's what I entitled today's message. I might would have changed it several times as I was studying and I began to dig deeper, but he is able, amen? And we need to be reminded of that. And and for those of you, because it's not like you kind of, you know, come up this way, but on the pulpit for some time, I don't even remember when this message was preached, but there's a napkin. There's a napkin. And on this napkin, I know my dad, who is listening right now, is smiling. It's not written in a felt-tip marker like my grandfather and like my dad, but it's written in a pen, and it's a verse. It's Ephesians 3.20. It's written out, and it's circled. And there's certain things that are highlighted under this. But you know what? One of the things, that, and this is what that verse says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. You see, every Sunday I get a little reminder that he is able. Amen? Some men have had on their pulpits, feed my sheep. That's what God tells men of God and teachers to do. Feed my sheep. You know, as I told the people on Wednesday night, my grandfather's placard that sat on his desk has a verse from 1 Corinthians 9, 16, if I'm not mistaken, it says, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Right? It's, it's not about me. It's not about easy believism, but it's about the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. That's the gospel in six words. So he is able And he's able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? That he is able to do more than we can ask or think. And that he does. And we just need to ask him to open our eyes to see him at work around us. And to see how he is working in ways that we might not have realized. And so Paul says that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Some translations say to guard what I have entrusted to him. And so what does that mean? Three quick points on that particular portion of this passage. It means that God will protect the souls of those that have converted. Those that have believed in him through the power of the gospel. Secondly, God would guard Paul's own soul until Christ's second coming. 
or until Jesus called him home. The third point is that Paul was confident that the good news would go forth. Aren't you thankful that Paul, Peter, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, aren't you thankful for them? Aren't you thankful that that they took the time to record and, and to write down and to to write these things to the audiences of which they were speaking. See, friends, that's why it's so important whenever you study Scripture, especially the Gospels, who were they speaking to? Who was the original audience? Because when you know the original audience and you know who they were preaching and teaching to, it helps you to see clearly the message of that particular Gospel, of that particular book. For example, I can't remember, it might be, I'm going to say Mark, could be wrong. But you know, the Son of Man. In one gospel, it's all, it's all about the Son of Man. It's about the deity of Christ because that's what his audience was struggling with. So I encourage you to know what you are studying. Also, as Paul says, that we're not to be ashamed, right? So we're not to be ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. Friends, I want to remind you of another thing that he wrote to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, he says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors, through him, through Christ, who loved us. And then you will probably recognize these two verses. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And then he's sure. He is sure. Listen, when we are sure of our faith, it lifts others. It encourages them. It spurs them on. It points them to Jesus, the source of our strength and security. You see, as Paul was writing to Timothy, Timothy could have been discouraged or he could have seen what lay ahead of preaching and teaching the gospel in an area that wasn't friendly to the gospel because most areas at that time were not. As, as, as you read and you study church history, originally people were called little Christ, which was not a, a word of affirmation, but it was a word that was a word of slang. It was a word that was not a great thing. And so that's where you see that, the little Christ or the little Christians. The the world that they lived in, the world that the gospel was being preached in was hostile to the gospel. And it's kind of like the world we live in in America today, amen? Time may go on, but some things never change. And so Timothy could have been discouraged or he could have seen what lie ahead as a daunting task. But then we also see in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. 
the writer of Hebrews, and notice I said the writer of Hebrews. Here's a moment to take a kind of philosophical, not philosophical, a theological, excuse me, moment and just remind you that scholars debate who wrote Hebrews, but it doesn't really matter who penned it. We know who wrote it, amen? It's from the mind of God to his people. It's our love letter to us. So don't get caught up in the small things like that, right? Because that's what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to say, well, they don't know who wrote that. Well, okay, but it's in, it's in the canon. It's in the word of God. It's what's been preserved for ages and it is true. Amen. And so as we see here in chapter seven, verse 25, consequently, he is able to save the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Amen? So he is able, again, here is God's word saying that he is able, what? To save to the uttermost. Doesn't matter what you've been, what, what you've done. Christ can save you. Amen? Those who draw near to God through him, that's who, that's who he saves. Since he, Christ, lives to make intercessions for them. As we pray, Jesus is making intercession to the Father on your behalf. Are you thankful for that this morning? That as you pray, that Jesus is making that intercession for God's will to be done? Now sometimes we can pray and pray in the wrong way or pray selfishly or pray that's outside the will of God. But we want to pray what? Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's part of um, the Lord's prayer. And so today, as we look at this, uh, as we as we begin to kind of wrap this up, like I said, it's just so much truth in this verse. But I am I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that He is able. You see, friends, as I've already reminded you this morning, your faith is forged through adversity, and so you may not be like Paul, and you may not be able to say that. You may not be able to say some of these things, but can I remind you that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. We're to keep seeking Jesus. Seek me first. Matthew 6.33. Seek first the Lord, His kingdom. That's what we're called to do. So maybe there's an area in your life where you are struggling with something that you believe. Pray. Study. Give the Spirit time. As I picked up a book, which I have tons near my desk, if you've ever been to my house, there's stacks and stacks. But I enjoy underlining um, things that I read, things that jump out at me. And so as we close today's message, I just want to share this with you. I picked up a book, I don't even know how I got to the top of the stack. But it's called Stronger. How Hard Times Reveal God's Greatest Power. It's by Clayton King when he was in youth ministry and an evangelist. He would go and preach and teach youth. He said, our weakness doesn't define us. How we respond to our weakness does. You see, you become stronger when your weakness allows God to be your strength. And he wrote, he said, we don't get a pass when it comes to pain. 
But we can worship God in our weakness because pain has a way of clearing out the clutter in our lives. The coronavirus has been a pain. Amen. As we were talking about this morning, I'm ready for a day when they, we don't have to wear any masks and we don't have to be socially distanced. Because I enjoy being around other people. I enjoy being around and just sharing life with other people. But as we close this morning, just like I picked up that book, and just like if you picked up my Bible, I encourage you, friends, to underline, to highlight, to mark the things that stand out at you. Because just like that book, I flipped through a few pages, and it was just through that few pages that I felt like that was appropriate in this message. Right? You're not going to remember everything, but as you underline things, as you highlight things, you will. And so just like when I pick, I do the same thing sometimes with my copy of God's Word. I might be waiting on a telephone call or waiting on someone to come. And I'm at my desk and I just open God's Word and begin to flip through and, and read some of the things that I've highlighted and, and some of the things that have stood out to me as I've studied and as I've preached and as I've listened to other preachers. And you know what? It almost always always blesses me all over again. It reminds me of things that I need to hear in that season of life. And so I close this morning by asking you two more questions. I know I ask a lot of questions, but you know what? I'm thankful that when I ask these questions, they do get through. Right? You might not think on every one of them, but there's going to be one. It might not be this week. It might be next week. It might be a month from now, but there's going to be one that you're going to wrestle with. Praise God. You're going to pray through and and he's going to use to to shape you and to make you more like Jesus. And I'm thankful as I've had conversations with many of you. You say, Pastor Chris, I, you said something a few weeks ago and I've been thinking on that. And it's in those moments, it's not necessarily the question that was asked, but just the affirmation that God used me to make someone else ponder, to make someone else search and to dig deeper for him. And so these questions that I asked you this morning are this. What if the hard times aren't designed to be endured, but embraced? What if the hard times we try to avoid are holy moments meant to change us into better people? And I add, to be more like Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are able. Lord, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice that that they know in whom they have believed. Not in what they've believed about church and church attendance and tithing and, and trying to be a good person, but God, through that they know about Jesus and his shed blood, his work at Calvary, in an empty tomb that he lives that we may face tomorrow. So, Father, I pray that, like Paul, maybe there may come a day that we won't be ashamed, for we know in whom we've believed, and we are persuaded, Lord, that you are able to keep us until that day in which we see you, until we see Jesus. And so, Father, I pray as we leave this place, I pray maybe there was a question that was written down, a verse that was underlined. Lord, help us to meditate on your word and help us to be more like Jesus. 
For it's in his holy and precious name that I pray. Amen.